calendar year, it's been a little different because usually right after Thanksgiving, we go right into the season of Advent. Uh, Advent begins next week, so we get to have two Thanksgiving Sundays, and I really relish Thanksgiving, so I'm glad for a double dose. So would you take a moment to just wave at the people next to you and say, I really thank God for you. I thank God for you, and just let's welcome one another that way. And really, we do mean that. I thank God for each of us. Um, I read the thank you cards that everyone wrote, and I'm going to post it on the wall so we could all share in it. And it was really uplifting to hear what people are thankful for and that we offered it to God. But it's also edifying to the body as we share it with one another. And so with this Thanksgiving, there's a verse in the Bible that says, Be joyful always, pray at all times, and then give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. And so when we think about that, it's easy to say it's joyful, but we go through life where there are times where it's hard to give thanks. There are moments where Christian life is not about just being cheery, but there are moments where we do look at it and say, God, this stinks. And so I want to acknowledge, how do we give thanks in those moments when we know that life is not going in the way that we had hoped it goes. So real life, it's full of anguish. Uh, real life is full of disappointments. Real life, there are moments where it's almost like we're cringing at the next moment where that downfall is going to happen. And I'm not trying to be a pessimist, but real life is not easy at times. And so Walter Brueggemann, he's an Old Testament scholar, revered Old Testament scholar. He wrote this book called Spirituality of the Psalms, and it's only 75 pages long. You could get it on Amazon Kindles. Um, and he has a way of us to approach the book of Psalms that has 150 chapters in a way that we could read every psalm under three categories. And those categories correlate to the movements of life that you and I go through. And so here's what I'm talking about. Walter Brueggemann says, you could categorize your life and my life as well as psalms in these three ways. There are psalms of orientation, and then we experience a pit of disorientation, and then eventually God leads us to reorientation. And so, for example, just to make it a little more real, uh, for those of us who've been married, or those of you who are excited about college, those of you who are excited about driving, there's always this point of orientation, like, yes, life is good, I'm at my school, or I made it to seminary, or wow, I can't believe I married, I married a beautiful woman. And then life happens, and then things happen, disorientation occurs. Wow, we don't get along. She doesn't make her bed. She, she squeezes a toothpaste from the middle, not the end, like normal people do. This disorientation is like, school is hard. Why am I at this? Is this the right major for me? I thought the boyfriend would really answer all of my sad questions. I thought he would make me happy. And so we go through life where everything we had hoped made sense becomes unclear. It unravels. It's disorienting. And then eventually, for those of us who are seasoned and older and wiser, um, our friend Bill Woodson's going to have his birthday tomorrow. Happy birthday, Bill. Uh, as we go through life, we realize... As people of God, if we trust in God, 
wow, God has a way if we wait on him, that he brings us out of the pit. And so if you read Psalm in every single way, orientation is the place where everything makes sense in our world. It's clear. God is good. We have joy. Hallelujah. That's orientation. Disorientation is when the world falls apart and we are in this despair and even darkness. And by the way, darkness, that's not a bad thing you'll hear in a moment. And so we groan, we lament, we even cry. We may even shake our fist. And then we may even yell at God. There are moments where you just want to scream at God. That's the disorientation, the pit. And then there are psalms where we have this reorientation where David will say, God, you have lifted me up. God surprises us. This is the part. He surprises us that we find ourselves in a new place that God has brought us to, that we never would have seen had we not been in the pit and God brought us out. And so let's do this as a group. Uh, orientation. Think about the pandemic. What was life like before the pandemic? What was our world as we know it? Just call it out. Plenty of toilet paper. No social distancing. What else? No masks. Sports, right? We play, school. Kids were looking forward to their prom. Job, church. Things were great. Our church was cranking. Things were good. All right. When the pandemic hit, there was a lockdown. What happened? What were some of the disorienting that you experienced? Online worship. <laughs> Zoom. Zoom failures. <laughs> um, social distancing. I remember um, Kathy and I had to go to Costco, and we had to wait like a block away, six-foot line, just to wait our turn to get in. Do you remember that? Everyone wore gloves. And, and then they put gas in the tank because we didn't know COVID was mostly airborne. And, and so disorienting because high school kids and little children, just think about this. Kids who are four years old, most of their life they grew up under pandemic. Well, so I heard mom say, my baby was so used to people wearing masks that when the baby sees people without masks, she freaks out. Like, it's, it's just disorienting. That's not our world. And then now, I like to think God has brought us out into this reorienting, and we're still trying to figure out what does this mean. And so I want to share this today because the book of Psalms can be a great place of comfort, a great place to echo our own cries, to realize that you are not alone, that this cycle doesn't happen once. It happens over and over and over again. But if you could just see that God is in control of, throughout this whole process, we might just be encouraged to know there's a way out when we're there. And then when this time comes, we're prepared for the disorientation. We've been there. God's been faithful. He will bring us out. That this would encourage us that this movement will guide us. So I want to dig into that a little bit more. So let's talk about orientation. This is the, where the world makes sense. And in the Psalms, these are the chapters. If you want to just, if you want a guide, I have a study sheet I found online. I'll give it to you. These are Psalms 8, 9, 33. It sounds like we're playing bingo in here. Sorry. 50, 
119, 120, there's many more. And what Walter Brueggemann says is, these articulate the joy, delight, goodness, coherence, and reliability of God, God's creation. That the world as God ordered it is good. Things are pumping along. So here's one verse. Can we read it together, church? Ready, go. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens. Out of the mouth of babies and infants, you have established strength because of your foes to still the enemy and the avenger. When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars, which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him and the son of man that you care for him? Like the creation of God's world is is aligned. God, who am I to experience the goodness to live under your power and rule? You're so good, Lord. God is good. And so we experience this in jobs, marriage, church. This is the moment where we worship God for who he is. I found this on uh, social media um, this past week, and I posted it because it was so powerful. You know, this idea of why do we sing at church? Um, And I wrote, Someone wrote this. Church, we do not sing because we need a warm-up before the sermon. We don't sing so people have time to get to their seats. We do not sing because we need to be entertained. We sing, this is so good, because God is good. We sing because God is worthy. We sing because it is a communal act of unity in which we declare the glory of God the gravity of sin, and the grandeur of God's grace. Doesn't that make us want to sing? Like focusing on who God is makes us want to sing songs. It is not a plug. It is not to get you in the right tone. And so God is intrinsically good. And so because of that, we have peace and harmony. This is the Garden of Eden. But in your life, when God is in control, it seems like, Lord, this is the way it's meant to be. So in our life, marriage is, is amazing. Family is growing. Your career may be flowing along. Everyone's healthy. <clears throat> and so God is so praised. And so this is the orientation. And King David would say, oh, those were the days when I just loved the Lord and sang to him. Those were the days before I became a king and people wanted to kill me. These are the days before Saul wanted to take my life. I'm a man after God's own heart. So this is orientation. Some of you are here now. So sing praise to God. Worship God. But we get to this point, disorientation. So this is a part in life where you hit that pit. And in this life, I wonder if there's a lot more people hitting the pits over and over again more rapidly. It's this time where there's disorientation and painful disarray hits us and separates our lives. Let me show you a picture, and, and this will hit disorientation. Like you could feel the disorientation from each of these images. Like 9-11, 8-15 in the morning in New Jersey, waking up to watch the news, you feel the world just shatter. And as Kathy and I looked outside our house and saw the smoke you know, billowing in the air over Manhattan, you just feel that 
what, Lord have mercy, what is going on? And so my brother was in uh, that, a block away from the World Trade Center, and, you know, Kathy had a good friend who was in the North Tower, and he, he passed away. And so all of a sudden, just like that, we had a honeymoon 30 days before, 30 days later, the world is just shattered. And you all know where you were at that moment in 9-11-2001, those of you who were alive. And so disorientation is these times where all of a sudden we say, God, why? God, what is happening? What is this darkness? What is this pain? And the way David says it is this, Psalm 6-3, my soul is in anguish. How long, how how long, Lord, how long? Like, you are in this moment, and you just can't wait, and you're like, this could last for days or months or years, and you're in this moment, and David is singing, Lord, how long? Psalm 13, 1 through 4, how long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? I, I wonder how many of you are praying these prayers today, that you are in this pit uh, and complaints arise. Um, can I tell you, uh, we were taught this, don't complain, right? Parents teach our kids, don't complain. But I think once I read the Bible, complaining is actually good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Complaining is actually not a bad thing. Uh, let, me, let me explain. Complaints to God are not bad. Complaints about God is bad, but complaints to God are not bad. So if you notice in Exodus, let me give you an example. It, it just dawned on me, uh, just doing, preparing for this week. Do you remember the Israelites grumbled, right? Right after they were freed. Was it, was it because there was no room in Egypt for us to be buried? You brought us out to the desert, and then they grumbled about the water, the food. If you notice... Every single time it says Israel grumbled against who? Moses. Israel again grumbled to Moses and Aaron. And I was struck by that. They didn't grumble to God. And here's the big difference. If you look at Psalm 130, out of the depths I cried to you, O Lord. Lord, hear my voice. What's clear in that complaint and verse? The psalmist is talking to whom? God. Whenever we take our complaints to God, it actually is received because we call this a fancy word called prayer. And the big difference is, uh, a theologian uses a more vulgar word, but I'm going to make it PG. But if we say there's a difference between saying forget God and forget you, God. You know what the difference between the second one is? And the first one? The second one, when we say forget you, God, it's a prayer we're crying out in anguish to God. And we are still in the presence and connection with God. When we say forget God, that's terrible. And so Job was complaining, and he even says in Job 3, I wish I was never born. I wish I didn't live. 
And at the end, his friends were like, repent, you probably sinned. Job, you did some sin, repent. And at the end, guess who God favored? Job. And guess who God rebuked? Job's friends. And what Tim Keller says is this. Job is vindicated. God vindicates Job at the end when Job did so much crying and complaining. Why? Because he cried and complained to God in prayer. He never turned away. When you complain to God, the reason why that still colds you is you are turning to God. Whereas forget God means we're walking away. So in disorientation, our prayers can be honest. Um, I don't want to raise your hand, want you to raise your hand, but I'm sure how many of you have had those moments where you just yelled at God in your heart, or literally? So these are the moments where, in our family, it was miscarriages, it was borderline marriage fail, it was borderline ministry falling apart, it was the news of child sex trafficking, it's the news of the world falling apart. It's economic hardships and job loss. And these are the moments where you're just devastated. There's a tragedy in the family. Someone that you love died. And so in today's Psalm 30, David, you could kind of sense what he's talking about here. He's saying, there are foes trying to kill me. David says, I was in Sheol. What is Sheol? He's saying, I'm in hell. God, I'm in hell. Do you not hear me? And he says, God, your own anger it lasts for a day, but joy comes in the morning. So these are, these are disorientations. And I'm saying this to say <clears throat> this is part of the life that God allows us to see. But if you could linger, if you could wait, we get to a reorientation. This is the moment where if you want your faith to grow, you got to wait upon God and he will lift you up. Walter Brueggemann writes, we are overwhelmed with the new gifts of God when joy breaks through the despair. You know, it's such a praise God moment when there are things that happen that was out of your control and God did something. Uh, these are the moments where uh, someone you pray for to know Jesus Christ, you've been praying for that person, praying for that person, and then they come to faith in Christ. There's nothing you could do outside. So these are the moments where we see God lifting us up out of the pit. And the Psalms that echo this is today's verse. Psalm 30, 1 to 3. We read this today. I will extol you. Could you join me? I will extol you, O Lord, for you have drawn me up and have not let my foes rejoice over me. O Lord, my God, I cried to you for help and you have healed me. O Lord, you have brought up my soul from Sheol. You restored me to life from among those who go down to the pit. You need to keep a journal of all the times that God has done something already in your life. Notice all the past tenses. I cried, you healed, you brought me up, you restored. If Christianity, friends, is everything you have done, hey, why are you a Christian? Because I go to church, I'm involved, I'm in the praise team, I serve. I read the Bible. I'm a good Christian. <laughs> but if Christianity is, why are you a Christian? God took a sinner like me and he forgave me. God continues to pour favor when I don't deserve it. God is so good. Jesus Christ, he knows life better than I could ever know. That is a heart after 
someone who has restored us. And so God is with us through it all, and God carries us out of it. And so here's the good news. Don't raise your hand. If you are in the disorientation phase right now, here's the great news. Turn towards God and see how God will lift you up out of that pit. This is our life. This is a cycle that happens over and over again. And I, I do, I do want to balance this. Like in the world, the message is this. You can't depend on anyone else. You have the power in you, right? We hear that. And so there's, yeah, there's an element of truth to that. But for Christians, we realize life is too complex. The war in Israel, the, the, the struggles of sin is real. And my deliverer, my salvation is the only one. It is God the Lord God. And so I want to wrap this up with this. Um, oh, this is another verse. Sing praise to the Lord. David has learned something new as he's seen God experience the deliberate David. And what David has learned is God is, we need to thank God. God is a God who gets angry in sin, but his favor and love for us is evident throughout the life. Joy will come in the morning. And so application of why am I sharing this? First is this, for the young people, old people, all of us, the Bible is the most honest literature, I realize, in the whole world. The Bible is literally the most honest literature to a human heartbeat that we could ever read. It doesn't pad it. It doesn't say Christians, just be nice. Remember, do you guys know who Ned Flanders is in The Simpsons? Am I the only one that watches The Simpsons? Like the world thinks Christians are Ned Flanders. It's Heidi, Heidi, Diddy, Ho, Neighbor, Oh, you know, and, and whatever he says. Like Christians are just happy go lucky. God is good. No, there's an honesty in the Bible that says, God, this is terrible. God, this is not right. Why are the evil prevailing? How long will you allow me to suffer? Even if it's self inflicted sins, deliver me, oh God, I repent. Like, these are honest. There's no fluff. The Bible is the most genuinely honest book in the whole world. Second, I think this is a message for mostly the younger generations. We have understood Christianity to be this, that God wants us to avoid pain, loss, and disappointment. Now, I'm not trying to be a party pooper, but reality of the Bible is saying this. You will experience pain, suffering, disappointment. But when you do, God goes through it with you, and God will deliver you. This is his promise. And so Walter Brueggemann even says the dominant theology a lot of the world people carry is this, that we are committed to comfort and avoidance of pain, hurt, and loss, and we have a wrong theology. The right theology is that the goal of life is to remember that in baptism we have died and everything that comes to life comes out of death. It comes out of disorientation. It comes out of God's deliverance. And I want to end with this. The third application is Jesus is the only one that we truly, just Psalm just punches us in the face. He's the only one that experienced orientation, disorientation, and reorientation in the massive eternal way so you and I don't have to. 
If you have your Bibles, you could turn to it, but if not, Philippians 2, Philippians 2, we have this, right? It's one of my favorite verses in the whole Bible. It says, Jesus, what was his orientation? Philippians 2 says, Jesus was in the form of God and equal to God. Jesus was fully complete. And if you read, how does he experience disorientation? It says, but he emptied himself, taking the form of a servant. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Jesus experienced the ultimate disorientation by dying on the cross when he was God. And some of us refuse to even serve, but Jesus came as a servant. Just, that's mind-boggling. In our world, we think, I don't want to serve. I don't want to, that's, that, that's too much for me. We don't, want to, we don't want to take our time and volunteer for God. And what Jesus does is he came primarily as a servant. Complete disorientation and dies on the cross. And then, what's the ultimate reorientation for Jesus Christ? Therefore, God exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. Why did Jesus do this? He experienced the ultimate disorientation to bring us reorientation. That every disappointment in life we have, there's a promise. He wins. Resurrection. God is victorious. God can. Um, you know what today is? For you church nerds, <laughs> today is Christ the King Sunday. And I'd be lying if I said I didn't Google what that meant. But we, we celebrate it not as fervently, but it just simply means this. Um, as waves of nationalism and secularism rose around the globe in 1920s, Pope Pius XI instituted the solemnity of Christ the King as a reminder, listen to this, that Christ reigns above all earthly rulers. Amen? While temporal powers will fade, Christ's reign and his kingdom remain eternal. Why do we need a Sunday like this? To remind ourselves we are not kings and queens. But there is one who carries us and pulls us out of the pit. And as Christ the King Sunday ends, do you guys know the story if you watch maybe Hamilton or your history buffs? Why does America not have a king? George Washington was asked, will you be king? And George Washington said what? This slide will not have a king. We just saw how messed up it was. And so on April 22nd, 1774, after the Revolutionary War, a report was sent to King George III of England. And in it, the governor of Boston exclaimed, if you ask an American who is his master, he will tell you he has none, nor any governor but Jesus Christ. In 1775, a British major called the colonists villains and told them, lay down your arms in the name of George, the sovereign king of England. The immediate response was, we recognize no sovereign but God and no king but Jesus. And this became the battle cry and the motto of a revolutionary war. No king but Jesus. In your orientation, disorientation, and reorientation, 
what do we need to hold on to the most? That Christ is our king who entered into disorientation so we can find full reorientation from our brokenness and shattered lives. So that when you go through it again and again and again, we can say, I too shall rise again, for he is faithful. Let us worship God. Let us follow Christ, our King. Let's pray. I want to invite you, where are you in this graph right now? Maybe you're in the orientation. Life is all held together. Some of you may be smiling on the outside, but you've been in the pit for a long time, crying, Lord, how long will this continue? Some of you may be coming out of it rejoicing, God, you have delivered me. In all these things, may you remember through the Psalms, it's okay to cry out to God. It's okay even to complain to God. Only never turn away from God. Let him restore you. Let him carry you. Let him uphold you and pull you out of the pit. And would you follow Christ forever. Lord, on this post-Thanksgiving Sunday, may gratitude continue to overflow in our hearts. May we continue to live as people who are not seeking merely avoidance of pain and suffering, those people who have been so girded, who walk with the God, who walk with the Holy Spirit in them, that no matter what comes their way, they say, I too will rise along with Christ. Lord, the heaviness can be real. And for words that can't be articulated, may the words of the psalmist be our prayers. Lord, have your way in us. Lord, bless your people, and draw all people closer to you through Christ. We thank you for being our deliverer. It is in your son's name we pray. Amen.